Hey. <laughs> I'm Christopher. Whoa! <laughs> My name is Christopher. If you haven't met me before, and if, if you're here for the first time, we're so glad you're here. We welcome you in the name of the Lord. And I am part of the deacon body here, which is newly formed in the church. We're really excited about that. And, uh, oh, there's one other thing uh, regarding kids' church serving. One time a month is awesome. We would love that. Mm-mm. <laughs> so before I begin preaching uh, from our text in Romans 15, that's Romans 15, 1 through 7, I'd like to take a moment to really extend my gratitude to this church overall, but especially to the elder team. They reached out to me. They've entrusted me with this and uh, have allowed me to do it. And I'm really pretty honored and humbled. And one thing that you guys should know is uh, what I especially love about our elder team is the unity that I see and the love and unity. And you know what? We get to experience that unity. We get to taste the fruit of that as a church. And it's so valuable for the strength of a church to have that. I've been on the other side of it, and so I know what that looks like as well. I'm especially appreciative of Pastor Peter. Um, He really came alongside me and spent some personal time with me to encourage me through this. He coached and mentored. I remember one Tuesday rainy morning, I went over to his house. He was sitting outside uh, on the front porch, and he he had a notepad, a Bible, something scribbled on paper, and uh, his laptop, and a little portable heater, and a cup of tea. And we sat out there, and he just laid things out before me. He says, this is how we do it. You might want to do it this way or not. But the truth is, is that coaching, mentoring, coming up alongside of others is what this church is about. Right? That's how we make disciples of one another and the world. So, the last thing I want to tell you is uh, I want you to know that my heart's desires, I'm not going to be attempting to speak words of eloquent wisdom, like Paul said, uh, but rather in demonstration of the Spirit, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Plus, I'm not good with big words. (laughs) So, today we complete our preaching series, Freedom Intention. And as we studied Romans 14, we've come to understand and embrace the tension between freedom and convictions. And as Peter has preached a warning to us, we can't, we mustn't allow our freedoms to threaten the convictions of another, nor our convictions to threaten threaten the freedoms of another. We're going to go to Romans 15 here in just one second, but I have to share something with you, and I, I had permission from Peter to be able to do this. Uh, when I reached out to him. So as I was preparing, I'm in my kitchen, right? And put a lot of time and, and into this. But the last day that I was preparing, uh, I was really pressed down, almost physically, I know, by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit. Some of you may know that uh, we're, I'm part of a leadership uh, cohort right now. It's called Leadership 215 that every nation is doing. And it's sort of a, I guess, a mini seminary, you could call it. 
And in that, we're, we're, right now we're doing an Old Testament survey, and it's like drinking from a holy fire hydrant. There's so much. But it was awesome because at one point I really saw and tangibly felt like the presence of God and his holiness. And he says to be holy or called out, set apart, set aside because I am holy. The truth is we can't be holy without his holiness. And then he told me to tell us this. He said, tell your church that every time you come together and you gather in my name, it's holy. We're on holy ground. To never take it lightly, blithely, or for granted because it's precious and there are brothers and sisters around the world dying to do this. That's all I had to say from the Lord. So, okay? Okay. With that, would you all stand to, to honor the reading of God's word from Romans chapter 15? I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Romans 15. Verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God God indeed. Have a seat, and I'm going to pray over us. So take a little deep breath there. Gather your heart and your mind. Bow your head if you like. Close your eyes if you need to. Lord, Jesus, we thank you that you always add a supernatural blessing to the reading of your word. Lord, we desire your strength in our collective and individual weaknesses. For it is there that your strength is made perfect in, through, and for us. Give us a heart of compassion, tenderness, and steadfast love for one another as we seek to lay down our preferences, convictions, freedoms, and weaknesses for the cause of joy and the pursuit of individual and collective godliness and edification. May the meditations of my heart And the words in my mouth, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, just as we've been embracing the tension between liberties and convictions the prior two Sundays, I believe that a helpful parallel for us to consider as we look into Romans 15 is a similar tension between responsiveness and truthfulness. And that's how I prepared my message, my thoughts. So 
If you're a note taker, there won't be a lot of notes, but there you go. So responsiveness and truthfulness. I want to begin by being totally transparent about my preaching, my being here today in the first place. It's a way bigger deal than almost anybody could know. But I don't know about you, I've been kind of trying to process what living intention means. It seems rather kind of an oxymoron. How do we do that and at the same time experience uh, more joy and more godliness intention? In fact, the very word tension, it kind of just makes me tense. Just think about it, like from a practical standpoint, have you ever seen somebody tense and happy at the same time? Unless you're on a roller coaster, it's like, you know what I mean? (laughs) But there's good news and there's hope for us all because I think I've figured it out. And it began the day that pastor asked me to be up here today, somewhere around three weeks ago. I said yes. And I meant yes, but inside I was like, I don't know about that. Make me a little <laughs> tense. And I felt that way for a reason because in the past, when I've done this very thing, I've, I did so with little confidence, with little training, but more so because I didn't have somebody to come up alongside me in that moment of that tension to coach, to mentor, to exhort, correct lovingly criticize. In fact, there was one time that I received such a negative and hurtful criticism that, sad to say, but true, I I cursed in my heart ever preaching again. That was not of the Lord, by the way. But instead, the truth is that laying down of my fears And the tension that I've experienced for the past has helped me to not feel the need to protect myself and hide. I could have declined Peter's request instead of responding in faith, knowing all along that responding in faith would have have a return from that obedience of increased joy and increased godliness. And indeed it has. The past three weeks have just been hard and wonderful at the same time, but it's so many things that have happened and come together, even people speaking things or in prayers or sending me things or people showing up that have invited affirmation, confirmation of God's truth and leading today, just as he's doing the same thing in your life in different ways. So I've uh, embraced the tension and surrendered the past. There's a lot more to say about that, but I want to take you back to Easter weekend, 1990, in Salem, New Hampshire, to a little movie theater where I went to a Christian film festival. I saw it in an ad in the newspaper, and I was wondering, what's that all about? So I went, and um, they showed the Jesus film. Uh, If anybody's ever seen it, it's kind of a, a B movie, and... The costumes are kind of cheesy, you know, almost to the point like I wore one of those costumes when I played in a play, the little drummer boy. I'm like, well, but, but it spoke to my heart, right? Because it was the gospel. And so after the movie, the lights come up and this guy gets up on the stage 
and the curtain closes for the screen. And I guess he was preaching a sermon or something. And lo and behold, I, I got hijacked by the, by the Holy Spirit. I was going to say bamboozled, but that's hard to say. And uh, so they had this altar call. Really, it was a spirit call. But I didn't know that. And so I gave my life to Christ. Yeah, 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 I did. I really did. But I didn't know what I was doing after. It took a long time for that to really come around. That was 1990. You guys, the reason I'm sharing that with you is it's so big because I grew up as a Catholic. In fact, I was an altar boy. I like wearing my little cassock. I love to put out the candles. In fact, I was going to be a priest, Father Christopher, when I was, up until I was 13, and then everything changed. I actually even had a little set of little chalices and cups. I used to practice mass in my room. I got some incense. I tried to steal some wine. That didn't go over very well <laughs> for very long. <laughs> But the truth is, is what I grew up with was the belief that if you're not Catholic, you're hellbound. You cannot step into a Protestant church. Never mind, get on the VBS bus that goes by every summer. No, weren't having it. Mom said, no, you can't get on that bus. But I didn't understand it. And I want you guys to hear me right here in this. I love my Catholic roots. I have no regret. Because I learned how to be reverent. And it pointed me to Jesus. Ba-doom. Bah. Here we are. Yeah. So follow the story through a little further. Imagine my horror when my friend says, hey, want to go to this church? Okay, where is it? It's in Londonderry. What kind of church? Come on, let's go. It's a Presbyterian church built in the 1800s on a hill. Big white building, beautiful. Why go? Only to get to the rear of the church and the doors and to see like the tallest guy ever. Only one guy standing with his hand raised and everybody else is sitting and they're singing. I'm a little freaked out. Like, what does that look like? Who's the tallest guy? Kevin, stand up. Kevin, would you do me a favor? Would you just go to the center of the aisle for a second? Now turn around. Face the other way. Raise your left hand all the way up as high as you can. Okay. This is me walking in through the back door, and that's what I see. So I'm a little freaked out, and I say to my roommate, does he have a question? And was that thunder and lightning I just heard? Do I smell smoke? Are the walls shaking? Thank you, Kevin. I was freaked out. I didn't know what he was doing. He was worshiping the Lord, right? But you know what I thought. And there I was. But I heard the gospel. And I was part of the body of Christ. Since that time, I've been following Jesus 
increasingly, not perfectly, but increasingly, just like you. Right? I hope. A lot more to say about that, but I want to say that in those 30 years of following Christ and this text boils down to two basic points that we're going to see right now. What matters to Jesus' followers? There's two things. One, my response matters, or sensitivity, charity, and love. And two, the Bible matters, or loving with the truth. Pretty straightforward. Look at this text. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So the first thing that we see in this passage is my response matters. And so it is when it comes to bearing with and standing with the failings or weaknesses or sensitivities of others. Strong doesn't mean better than. It means washing feet like Christ did. We serve just as Christ did. An obligation means to owe or to be indebted to. Changes it, doesn't it? We owe a debt of love to others. And it's good. It's a positive debt. Is there such a thing, students? I'm really happy about this debt. (laughs) So it stands that we're indebted to Christ for what he accomplished at the cross and setting us free from slavery to sin and from everlasting punishment. We have in this freedom an inherited obligation, a debt of love to our neighbor. And who is my neighbor, you might ask? Well, according to Jesus, it's any person that you might have contact with at any given point in your life, friend or foe, religion or nation regardless. In fact, why don't you all turn to each other and give yourself a nice Mr. Rogers hello neighbor. Hello neighbor. Hello, neighbor. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, isn't it? (laughs) Hello, neighbor. Our love debt is to build him up. The Greek word, oikodome. That's mouthful. To build him up, which means to promote another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness. To promote. Sounds like discipleship. Sounds like what happened between Peter and I and that's happening all over this church. It sounds like what God calls you to, to promote the others. In fact, we, we, we have here a wonderful uh, discipleship process. We engage people, we establish, we equip, and we empower It's there intentionally, and it's simple, but it's on purpose because we all need that, right? We get shepherded into growing, into leading for Christ. Ultimately, not to be a leader, but to be a better disciple and a better disciple maker. So, since we have such a great grace by the death and resurrection of Jesus, exactly how we respond, that is our soul and our spirit response, It matters as we extend that grace, especially to our weaker or our little brother and sister. 
that matters. Your response matters. Say this with me. My response matters. Like really, it really, really, for real, it does. It matters here and it matters in heaven as well. It matters, your response matters in your marriage relationships. When there's a fight or an argument, your response matters to one another. It matters in how you love your children. It matters in how you respect and honor your professors. In fact, one of our adult kids is here with us today. Now, I know that he can attest to the fact that your response matters is an an often repeated mantra from me to them. Would that be right, son? Right. Amen. Like your response matters in how long you're going to be grounded. Or your response matters in whether or not I choose to take that driver's license. But also, your response matters in how when people are uh, pressuring you or gossiping about you. Right? A love response. It still matters. Well, in actuality, it wasn't just my kid's response that matters. It was mine as well. In fact, maybe more so because if I were to just only respond out of anger or frustration, what would I get? I get rebellion and arrogance, right? That would be the fruit of that. And so most certainly my response mattered as a parent as it does now here and today. Let's look at this same scripture through the text of the the lens of the New Living Translation. I like how it reads. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. Your response matters. My response matters. You get the picture. You see, I was indebted to my kids as a father to provide correction and provide discipline, but I was also indebted to them to provide guidance and wise counsel and fatherly love. Likewise, our graceful response should be salted with selflessness and have the end product of being our brother's keeper, as it were, of building them up through encouragement. A little side note. This morning when I sat in the parking lot, I wanted to call Scott Morris, brother of ours, whose mom has just died and he's there on our property and he's away from his wife and family here take, trying to take care of the estate and wrap things up. And so I called him when I arrived here just to encourage him. And he was telling me about everything. But one of the things he said was, I got to spend two full days with my brother, which he said that never happens. And it was just the two of us. And if you know Scott, he goes on to say, and I have to say that he really does not do well in cleaning up after himself in the bathroom. I'm sort of my brother's keeper. Because I had told him I was going to use something like that. He said, perhaps you could use my illustration. (laughs) Thanks, God. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I have another story to share with you, and it's about my mom. It all ties together. So I was in New Hampshire a couple of weeks ago. You can't get there from here unless you drive the car over there and go Pats. My, mom, my mom's 81 years old. She lives by herself. She's recently uh, survived some cancer. She's very feisty and independent 
and a very strong Roman Catholic. She actually goes to a, a church that only preaches the Latin mass. Only, you know, with the priest, his back turned to you and smoke and all that. And so that kind of gives you a picture of where she's at. And so I asked her while I was there, hey, mom, remember that priest and that thing that happened? Like he, he didn't like you and you don't like him. Is he still around? This church was St. Patrick's in Nashua, New Hampshire. And uh, she said, no, he's gone. But then she goes on to explain the story to me, which I, I never knew. So she tells me she's there at the church on a Saturday and the church building was open. You know, they didn't lock the doors then. And this was about 20 years ago. And she sees this uh, lady, a mom, with her apparently teenage daughter. And from my mom's words, she, the daughter was uh, scantily clad. And it really bothered her. So she goes up to the mother, my mom, goes to that mom about her daughter and says, her clothing's inappropriate for the church. That's what the woman did. And she left. She left with the daughter. Well, what happened next was what we see when our response matters. The next Sunday, my mom shows up at church. She goes in and the priest is at the door in ambush and he grabs her, didn't physically grab her, but he stopped her at the door and he put his finger in her face and he goes, and these are his words, M-Y-O-B, mind your own business. And he walked away. I almost want to cry telling you that story. It's a true story. So what happened to the response? Well, the mom, in defense or protection of her daughter, went to the priest, hoping the priest would discipline my mom, maybe kick her out of the church. When the priest ambushed and disciplined my mom out of, love, out of not love, unlove, she scorned him and refused to have any contact with him 20 years ago. But I can't help but keep thinking about the girl. Because she was there. She was seeking God. Her mom brought her. Maybe she was going to pray with her. Maybe she was going to say, look, this is where I like to sit. Because I, I can see better. And I, I, like, I can hear the music better. And whatever. But no. The mom went, told the priest who went after my mom. And now, where is that girl? I don't know. Our response matters when we're loving the least of these or the little ones in our lives. I want to read what I wrote because I think it was important at the moment. Our response to the weak, therefore, must be of patience and kindness, fellowship and kind, uh, compassion, and without inner or outward judgment. Our response matters. And this brings me to my next point. The Bible matters. Or loving with the truth. You know, I think it's at times it's possible for uh, a Christian to say, I'm going to go speak the truth and love to that person. That they might have another motive. Or they might not rightly understand what that actually means through not being informed by the reading of the word. It's just something they've heard. I'm going to go speak the truth in love. 
In fact, I might have done that. Yeah, maybe perhaps that one time when I was at this church with one of my teen sons and he was acting like a teenager, all rambunctious and such. And uh, in my response, I turned to him with a scowl on my face and I said, quit it. You're embarrassing me. Mind your own business. Woe is me, son. I'm sorry, Nick. Again, I'm sorry. Bad dad thing. Don't do that. We can't do that. Instead, what we first need to do in order to make our response matter in a loving way is to know and love the Bible and its truth. And of course, we get the truth from the Bible, for the word is truth. I told you my words wouldn't be eloquent or complicated. Right on? Basic? Basic truth. And when we get truth, we're actually getting Jesus. Hashtag more Jesus. Because he made the following exclusive statement about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me, John chapter 14. That's an exclusive statement. Either Jesus needs a psychiatrist and some really good meds, or he is who he said he was and proved it through his resurrection and the cross. And that's the truth. You know, many lift up the Bible with a strong conviction, but they're unresponsive to the weakness and pain of others. And then there are those who claim to be so loving and tolerant, but in actuality, they're withholding life and truth, therefore love. Which turns out to be so unloving and perhaps even intolerant. The Apostle Peter, who himself had denied Christ three times, now exhorts the Christian church in this way. Let your faith be genuine. Be holy And earnestly love one another with a pure heart. And this is what separates those who follow Christ from the world. The pure heart. Hear me right. Those of you who might be seeking the Lord today for the very first time. Or you're returning. And you wonder, what does that mean? How could you have a pure heart and I don't? I'll tell you, it's not because we're moral or good. It's because we have the pureness of Christ within us. So let's take a quick peek here at Paul's strong exhortation to us. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You see the gospel in verse 3? For Christ did not please himself but as it is written. That's from Psalm 69, written by David. A messianic psalm, a psalm that proclaims the Messiah and his coming and his purpose. David wrote it as a song regarding Jesus in that the reproaches or the disparaging insults of God's own people against the Father had fallen upon him, Jesus, at the cross. Pause. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Your homework, students, 
homework? Everybody's getting their pens out. Community's like, homework? I'm not doing all homework. I want you to read Psalm 69 as a family or individually today. And I'll take your book reports next week. (laughs) David wrote that about a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth. So that psalm in the entire Bible was written of old and designated beforehand for us today, right now. Imagine that. It's like God knows what he's doing. He's everywhere and stuff. And it's a timeless instruction that gives strength and encouragement toward endurance as we wait upon Christ's return. The word instructs us regarding the depravity and rebellion of all mankind. Like me before Christ, I was a wreck. And the Father's solution to our self-destructive problem and sin and sending us Christ. And when rightly understood and lived out by faithful obedience, the word, the Bible, we bring glory to God because the word is alive, the word is active, the word is like a sharp two-edged sword, not a butter knife that you get from your kitchen. And when we put that on and we live it out, we bring glory to God and it makes us a ready, useful instrument for his kingdom. Including how we love the least of these, regardless of our freedoms or convictions. So we need the encouragement of the word in this life. We need the encouragement because it's a hard time after all. We need the word of encouragement for the sin of sexual slavery in the world and power mongers in the world who are trying to destroy and conquer. We need it in our daily lives when we suffer from anxiety or depression or fear or sudden illness that was unexpected and we don't know what to do with that. Or an ongoing chronic problem in our lives we need answers to. Yeah, we need the word. It gives us power. It sustains us like our very life blood. And it gives us endurance to be salt and light to a bitter and tasteless, often dark world as we await his glory. So as I close and I move toward communion, I hope that you have seen the gospel in these verses. And the good news is that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died in my place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he is the son of God and offering the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins to everyone who repents and believes in him. God desires to impute upon you his own righteousness, which is a big churchy word. So this pastor named Tim Keller out of New York City, he he put it this way about righteousness, that word. He says, Everybody has righteousness. It's what you do. The standards you set for yourself. The things you accomplish in order to accept yourself and be accepted by others and God. But the gospel is simply this. If you believe in Jesus Christ, as he stands before the throne of God, God now treats you as if you are as righteous as he. Paul said it this way. In the Amplified Version from 2 Corinthians 5.21, he said, 
God made Christ who knew no sin to judicially be sin on our behalf so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious, loving kindness. Would you please stand for communion?